0: Wednesday, March 29, 1989. On average, the weather is not as brutal in Tokyo this time of year, reaching into the 50s during the days, the 40s at night. At this time, Japan was coming off its major economic incline, where it had become the third largest economy in the world after the US and the Soviet Union. Car manufacturing changed so much that it threatened other countries pushing them out of business. Nine out of 10 of the world's largest banks were Japanese and even the grounds of the Tokyo Imperial Palace were calculated to be worth more than all the land in California. In this post-war era, the founders of Panasonic, Honda, Sony, and more focused on pride, skill, and dedication and the manufacturing process. The point was to create a happy and loyal customer base throughout this time of general growth in the country. Throughout the 70s, Japan was floating on stability, but by the late 80s was heading towards another decline. With bank deregulation, the rich became richer, the poor became poorer. Excessive consumption increased, and so did the social divide. Discotheques became a popular area to frequent and undeveloped land became desirable enough that the Yakuza were hired to illegally demolish buildings or force owners to sell. It was right in this bubble burst and in a section of undeveloped land in the Tokyo East section called Koto City that a young girl's body was found encased in cement on that March day. The crimes committed against 17-year-old Junko Furuta are considered one of the worst in history ever documented among juvenile offenders. On Friday, November 25th, 1988, high school student Junko Furuta is finishing her shift at a local plastic molding company where she had been working part-time after school. She is in her final year at Yashiro Minami High School in Misato, Japan. She is the middle child with an older and younger brother. Although very popular in school, she was very focused and maintained high scores in her classes. She already had a job waiting for her after graduation at an electronics retailer. 18 year old Hiroshi Miyano was a classmate of Junko's who had ties to the Yakuza. Well known as a bully and rapist, Junko was not flattered or pleased with his persistent advances always politely declining. But this enraged Hiroshi. He felt disrespected and that his connections to the organization should mean no one would want to reject him. On the evening of November 25th, it was around 8.30 p.m. when Hiroshi and his friend, 16-year-old Nobuhara Minato, were out walking the streets of Misato, looking for someone they could rob and assault. Hiroshi spotted Junko on her bike and made a quick decision. He got Nobuhara to kick her off the bike and flee while he pretended to be randomly passing by witnessing the attack. Hiroshi offered to help ensure she got home safely. Although he regularly annoyed her in school, she reluctantly agreed since she was too hurt to continue riding. Leaving her bike behind, Hiroshi and Nobuhara forced her to an abandoned warehouse in the area where she was raped and beaten. They moved her to a nearby hotel to continue the attacks, also inviting other Yakuza gang members to come by and join in. Hiroshi called in Joe Ogura and Yasushi Watanabe, both 17 years old at the time, to help keep her captive and allow others to assault her. Around 3 a.m. the following morning, Hiroshi took Junko to a nearby park where Nobuhara, Joe and Yasushi were waiting. They told her that they had found her home address in one of the notebooks in her bag so it would do no good to try and escape. On November 27th, Junko was forced to call her parents and tell them she decided to run away but that she was safe with a friend. Since they had reported her missing, and even gone to the school to see if there was any information about her whereabouts, she asked them to call off the search with the police and close out the case. No one would be looking for her now. She had been moved to Nobuhara's home in the Ayasi district of Adachi, which is about 20 minutes from where she was taken in Misato. Forced to act like a girlfriend to one of Nobuhara's associates when his parents were home, They were not suspicious of her always being around at first. She would even sit down to have dinner with them. But for the next 40 days, Junko suffered the worst humiliation for a young woman in torture that many of us have never imagined would be possible for one human to inflict upon another with no cause. Listener discretion is strongly advised. The following is an account almost verbatim from the captor's confessions. By day seven, Junko had been raped over 100 times by multiple people, up to 12 men in one day. She was hardly ever wearing clothes and had been forced to sleep on the balcony in the middle of winter. In December, night temperatures in and around Tokyo dropped to the 30s. She would also be forced to sit in a freezer for hours. Skewers of grilled food were inserted into her vagina and anus, causing bleeding and eventual infection, as well as difficulty urinating. She almost had a chance to escape when she found a phone, but Hiroshi caught her and ended the call. When police called back, he apologized for the mistake. As punishment for her trying to run away, they put lighter fluid on her legs and lit them on fire. She started to convulse, but they thought she was faking it and then set her feet on fire to add further punishment. On day 12, they tied her hands to the ceiling and began using her as a punching bag until she coughed up blood due to the internal damage. There was so much blood in her nose that she could only breathe through her mouth. On day 16, starvation was starting to sink in, so they made her eat cockroaches and drink urine. She was also forced to masturbate in front of them and their guests, despite the injuries to the area. By day 20, Junko had lost bladder and bowel control, but would get beatings for soiling the carpets. Unable to consume food, she would vomit after each try. Her systems were failing. The resulting dehydration deteriorated her body even more. By now, Nobuhara's parents and brothers are sure of what is happening in the home. His parents later reported that even though they knew, they were too afraid to contact the police as he had become increasingly violent and threatening with them. They didn't know how to handle it. On day 26, they continued to insert foreign items into her body, including bottles, cigarettes, iron bars, and scissors. They inserted a hot light bulb into her vagina and punched on her stomach until it exploded inside of her. Fireworks were set off in her ears, mouth, and vagina. A month has passed and on the 30th day, they used pliers to tear off her left nipple and pierced her breast with sewing needles. On day 40, they forced her to play a game of Mahjong. This is a game of 144 tiles with Chinese characters and symbols. Players pick tiles or return tiles with the intent to get four sets and a pair. There are various rules and versions of the game, so who knows which ones they were trying to follow that day. Still, Junko won, and this pissed them off again. They forced her to stand on her burn and wounded legs and feet and struck her feet with a stick, causing her to fall over onto a speaker that was in the room. She started to convulse. She was constantly bleeding, and now pus is coming out of her wounds. Somehow, becoming even more upset at this, they set her on fire again. But this was the final attack, which lasted around two hours. Nobuhara's brother reportedly contacted Nobuhara while he was out and told him that he thought Junko was dead. On January 4, 1989, the teenagers put her in a 55-gallon drum, filled it with concrete, and dumped her in the Koto area of Tokyo, in undeveloped land. There was a poorly missed opportunity to help Junko just 16 days after her abduction and repeated assaults. One of the men that had sex with her went home and told his brother that he was bullied into doing so. His brother told their parents who contacted the police. When police arrived at the Minato home, they left without stepping foot into the home. They decided to go off of the word of whoever answered the door that no girl was there. After news of Junko's death came out, the two police officers had been fired for not following protocol. The community was obviously outraged by their lack of investigation. Some may say that they should have been held accountable for her subsequent death. A few weeks after Junko is left in the field on January 23rd, Hiroshi and Joe are arrested for the gang rape of a 19-year-old. Two months later on March 29th, they were interrogated yet again. This time, women's underwear was found at their homes. During the questioning, police led Hiroshi to believe that they were looking for information on a murder that he may have committed. Thinking his friend Joe had already confessed to what they had done to Junko, Hiroshi told police where they could find her body. They were confused because they were actually trying to solve the murder of her mother and a son from nine days earlier, but took the tip and followed up. The following day, Thursday, March 30th, 1989, Junko's body was discovered. When investigators opened the barrel, they could see her hair sticking out of the hardened concrete. She still had soda bottles stuck in her anus and her face was unrecognizable. Junko's identity was confirmed by fingerprints and DNA, which was matched with her father's. Investigation of the area in the home where Junko was held provided a long list of items for testing, as the boys made no effort to clean up their crimes. The list included cups that smelled of urine, fireworks, cigarette lighters, light bulbs, blood-stained rope, dumbbells, and barbells. Dumbbells have the two circular weights placed on either end of a metal bar and are shorter. You would hold it in one hand. Barbells are the longer ones where you would use two hands to lift and are more for power lifting when laying down on a bench. The torture room also had bamboo sticks, iron rods, bloody sewing needles, and bloody pliers. All of the bloody instruments found at the scene were tested for DNA, including blood found on the captor's clothing. Along with the confessions of her kidnappers, the DNA testing and bloody tools found were consistent with the scars and injuries on her body. The autopsy revealed that her brain size had decreased, likely caused by the extreme stress and depression that she had experienced during this time. It was estimated that Junko endured about 400 total sexual assaults in the 40 days of captivity. Two confirmed accomplices in Junko's rape include a boy named Tatsuo Nakamura and Koichi Ihara, who was the one that told his brother he was bullied into it. They were identified by their DNA being in or on her body. Junko was confirmed to be pregnant when she died. The four boys pleaded to bodily harm that resulted in death rather than murder. Nobuhara Minato was just 16 at the time of the murder. His house is where Junko was held. As a minor, he received a sentence of five to nine years for crimes against Junko. His parents and brother were not charged though his brother was arrested during the investigation. The home was later demolished and a new home built in its place. He later changed his name to Shinji Minato and married a Romanian woman in 2006. In 2018, he was arrested for the attempted murder of a 32-year-old company employee in Kawaguchi City, physically assaulting the man with a nightstick. He also stabbed him in the back of the neck and slashed his throat. Luckily, the injuries were not severe as the man was able to call police and emergency services for medical attention. The victim and Nobuhara were both at a stoplight and Nobuhara was staring. The victim asked him what he was looking at, and that was Nobuhara's excuse for the attack. By the time of this incident, He was divorced and had a daughter. We wonder if he can imagine someone doing to his daughter what he had done to Junko. Hiroshi Miyano was 18 at the time of the crimes against Junko and his sentence was extended to 20 years when he tried to appeal. Released in the summer of 2009, he changed his name to Hiroshi Yokoyama and returned to gang activities. He was arrested for fraud in 2013, but later released without charge due to insufficient evidence. The Miyano sent Junko's parents the equivalent of 425,000 US dollars after the sale of their family home. Joe Ogura also changed his name later in life to Joe Kamisaku. He was also 18 at the time of the murder and released in August 1999. He reconnected with the Yakuza, married, and divorced. In May 2004, he was arrested for the attack, abduction, and imprisonment of a man for four hours. He was sentenced to four or seven years, depending on the source. The man he attacked as someone Joe thought was involved with his girlfriend. His mother supposedly vandalized Junko's grave, citing that she ruined her son's life. Joe's father had offered financial compensation to Junko's parents for what his son had done, but they refused. Regardless, he began saving money anyway, which reportedly was swindled through luxuries by Joe's mother. Yasushi Watanabe was 17 at the time of the crimes and received a five to nine year sentence. He is the only one that we could not find any repeat offenses for after his release. Because they were all minors, Japan was trying to keep their identities concealed. However, their names were released by local media. The brutality of their crimes didn't justify keeping their names secret. They humiliated Junko more than anything. To no surprise, Junko's mother had to undergo psychiatric treatment when she learned about everything her daughter had gone through the images of her daughter and the physical pain that turned numb for junko must have affected all five senses every minute of every day to have these thoughts and surely physical reactions when imagining this torture afflicted upon her baby girl for 40 days 40 days It was even worse for her. The evil within these boys, the missed opportunity by the police, the misleading call telling them not to worry, the Japanese system for juvenile punishment, a 375-year-old organized crime syndicate are all the factors creating a perfect recipe for another innocent and undeserving young woman to lose her life. The undeveloped land where Junko's body was discovered has since been redeveloped into a park.